الرحيم نحمده سبحانه وتعالى ونستهديه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله تعالى من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهدي الله تعالى فلا مضل له ومن يضل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله وصفيه من خلقه وحبيبه بلغ الرسالة وأدى الأمانة ونصح الأمة وكشف الله عز وجل به الغمة وجاهد في سبيل ربه حتى أتاه اليقين فاللهم صلي وسلم وبارك عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد الحمد لله بعد زمان الإسلام tonight إن شاء الله we'll be speaking about a very very important topic this topic my brothers and my sisters is crucial it is not an option it is a very 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 important piece of knowledge that each and every Muslim especially in our time has to have clear understanding of or else you will definitely fall in error and fall in mistake and we've spoken about this topic before many times but here and there we get asked the same questions again and again and I think that every now and then we should all revise this matter together. My brothers and my sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we said last time, lecture before also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered us to obey Him and obey his Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَأَطِيعُ اللَّهَ وَأَطِيعُ الرَّسُولِ Obey Allah and obey his Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And if you want to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obey Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam you need to know and understand what the orders are Correct or not? This is where ilm comes in, knowledge comes in. And we all know without doubt that the ummah as a whole varies in the level of knowledge. So not everyone here has the same amount of knowledge of deen. Please focus with me because today is a complicated topic. Inshallah, if you master it, you'll be safe for the rest of your life. Inshallah. So if you want to apply and the knowledge of deen or learn the knowledge of deen, you need to learn from someone. No one is born with knowledge of deen. Sahih? And wahi, wahi, is a form of knowledge. But it's knowledge directly from Allah Azza wa Jal through the angel Jibreel alayhi salam. Which me and you don't have. Anyone here, if someone claims that he is receiving wahi, he leaves Islam, he becomes a murtad. 
That's the piece of knowledge. And we don't have Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam amongst us to teach us. None of us living here nowadays saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who has access to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So neither you have access to Allah nor you have access to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There is no wahi, there's no, there's no revelation. This is why Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu and Umar radiallahu anhu. They went to visit Ummu Ayman, this amazing lady that the Prophet sallallahu used to visit here and there. They went to visit her after the Prophet's death sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As soon as she saw them, she started crying. فَقَالُوا مَا يُبْكِيكِ Why are you crying? أَمَا تَعْلَمِينَ أَنَّ مَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ Don't you know, Ya Ummu Ayman, that what Allah Azza wa Jal has prepared for the Prophet is better for this life that he was living. فَقَالَتْ إِنِّي لَأَبْكِي أَنِّي لَأَعْلَمُ أَنَّ مَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ لِرَسُولِ اللَّهِ That's not what I'm crying. I'm not crying about the Prophet because he died. قَالَتْ وَلَكِنِّي أَبْكِي أَنَّ الْوَحْيَ قَدْ انْقَطَعَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ Look at the fiqh and understanding of this lady. She said, I am crying because now revelation has ceased. No more wahi, no more Jibreel. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is khatam al-anbiya wal-mursaleen. There is no prophet after the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has died. Which means what? No more wahi. Now all these human beings that will come thereafter, how will they know about Allah? How will they know about this deen? How will they know what's right from what's wrong? We have the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It's the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet These are our sources of knowledge. And now my brothers and my sisters, we don't have access to Allah and we don't have access to Muhammad but we only have access to Qur'an and Hadith. The Quran and the Sunnah. And the majority, the vast majority of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they don't, they are not specialized in understanding Quran and Sunnah. They are busy with dunya. The vast majority. They are busy with dunya, money, wife, children, you know. He wants to become a doctor, engineer. He wants to become a, an artist, an astronomer. He wants to become a tradie, make money. Most, the vast majority of the Ummah of Muhammad don't even know Arabic. They don't even the language of the Quran and the language of the Sunnah. Arabic at any level, let alone the level of Arabic of Qur'an and the hadith of the Prophet And those who know Arabic at that level, they are not very, very aware of all the ayat and all the hadith. And thus, there is of course a variance in comprehending and understanding the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And this is why, my brothers and my sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said this verse, <coughs> 
Ya Allah, what do we do when we don't know? If Muhammad was alive amongst us, it's a very easy solution. I want to divorce my wife. I want to know how to divorce my wife. What is right from what is wrong? What will I do? I will go to Rasulullah and say, Prophet of Allah, I want to divorce my wife. What should I do? Do one, two, three, four, finish. What's halal from what's haram? Can I buy this house? Can I use this contract? It's a very easy one visit to the masjid of the Prophet and finish. What's right from what's wrong? But now when he وسلم, is not amongst us, what do we do? What do we do? We have to ask a alim, a sheikh, a scholar of deen. And this did not happen now. This debate, that topic of today's lecture, didn't happen now because the Prophet وسلم, died more than 1400 years ago. So as soon as the Prophet وسلم, died, this topic came up. And what do we do? Now the Prophet وسلم, is not alive amongst us. What do we do? So this topic came up, this discussion came up. This is when, and please and carefully we're going to start using technical terms. This is when the topic of ishtihad appeared. The topic of ishtihad in its technical definition that we use now. Something called ishtihad. And something called taqlid. There's something called ishtihad and something called taqlid. Ishtihad, by definition, means exerting effort to deduct, to extract a hukum, a ruling from the sources of sharia. From the sources of our sharia, Someone that is a specialist looks into these sources of Sharia and we use only Quran and Sunnah now to simplify but really there's Quran, there's Sunnah, there's Ijma'ah, there's Qiyas these are the four agreed upon sources and then there's other sources that are not agreed upon you know and we will talk about this soon but what does the Mushtahid, what does this Alam or scholar do? he basically has the education he has the knowledge of extraction. He knows how to deduct. He knows how to go to Quran and Sunnah, Ijma' and Qiyas, Istihsan, Shar'i Man Qablana, Maslaha Al Mursala, all the Masadr of Sharia, and do what? And extract a fatwa, a ruling, a hukm. What is right? What is wrong? What is halal? What is fard? What is Sunnah? What is Makroob? He has this knowledge. He has this capacity. And the vast majority of the Ummah will always be Muqallideen. Doing Taqlid. Taqlid means what? Taqlid means he will go and he doesn't have this knowledge of extraction. He doesn't have the ability. He doesn't have the tools of extracting a ruling from the sources of Sharia because he doesn't know the sources of Sharia. He's not studied in this field. He doesn't have the tools for it. So what does this person do? This person, he asks a mushtahid. He asks someone that has this ability. As soon as Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa passed away, 
even amongst the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, there was difference in level of knowledge. Even though they were all very knowledgeable, but the variance in knowledge was very, very apparent. This is why you see and hear, and you read the history, you read the seer. Some Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, they gave fatwa while the Prophet was alive. Yani he allowed them to give fatwa while he was alive. He's still alive. And he allowed them to give fatwa. You know? And some Sahaba were known for their fiqh and knowledge in Sharia. You know? So when Muhammad Sallam passed away, naturally these Sahaba took the front row. And some Sahaba, even though very, very close to the Prophet Wasallam, in this field, they took the back bench. They started asking the likes of Abu Bakr anhu, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abdullah ibn Umar, even though he's a Sahabi himself, he saw the Prophet but he would still ask those main Sahaba that were known for Ishtihad and Fatwa, they were specialized in the field. And then the Sahaba radiallahu anhum traveled the world. They did not stay in one place. Some Sahaba went to Iraq, some Sahaba went to Egypt, some Sahaba went to Sham, some Sahaba went to Yemen. Some Sahaba moved radiallahu anhum. Some resided in Kufa, some resided in Basra, some resided in Medina, some resided in Mecca. Some, mashallah, you know, they were in Cairo. They went, mashallah, to all the different cities of the Muslim world as it was expanding. Radiallahu ta'ala anhum. And in each region of these regions, you will always find historically there was one main Sahabi from these special high caliber Mushtahideen that started spreading his methodology. His understanding, his ishtihad. And from the Sahaba radiallahu anhum came the ranks of the ulama of Tabi'een. And then from after the generation of Tabi'een to Al-Atba'i Tabi'een, then slowly, slowly the four Imams appeared. Really, we know now four madhahib that we speak about. But if you read a bit of history, you will know that the madhahib the schools in the Islamic history were actually 13. There were 13 schools, not four. Now you know four, but there was 13 schools. And only four of these 13 carried on through history and different politics and countries and the Dawud al-Umawiyah and Abbasiyah and the movements. Only four of these 13 continued strongly until our time. Hence, the very, very common question that makes Mashaykh's hair go white. The topic of today, Shaykh, do I have to follow a madhab? Do I have to follow a school? Can't I just follow Quran and Sunnah? Brother, I don't, I don't want to be a blind follower. Brother, I want to follow Quran and Sunnah. And you will find regarding this topic, should we follow a madhab? Shouldn't we follow a madhab? What should the Muslim do in his day-to-day deen, male and female? So much ignorance. There's so much ignorance and there's so much ghulu. Ghulu means exaggeration on both sides of the horizon. So you find some people, they took 
the issue of following a madhab and following a school to the extent of wala and bara. Brother, I'm Shafi'i. If you are not Shafi'i, we don't even say salamu alaykum to each other. I don't pray behind you. I don't pray in this masjid. I will never give my daughter to someone that's following a different madhab. When we, you know, if I hear any mas'ala or any threat from another madhab, it's like, you know, na'udhu billah. Like I'm Shafi'i, for example, I was once traveling with a Hanafi brother in a trip. And then came salah time. So I joined my salah. I joined my Dhuhr al-Asr. And I would never forget his face. He was looking at me praying Dhuhr al-Asr in Dhuhr time. And he's looking at me. Inna lillah wa inna because how, how, how can you pray Asr out of its time? I don't understand. I said, well, we Shafi'i, we have this, you know, fatwa in our madhab. Because, brother, but it's haram. Brother, it's salah. Haram, all his experience, all his life, the issue of joining salah, he's never heard of, never seen, never this. So to him, brother, this is Islam and anything else you do is, you know, is wrong. And you actually read in history, at one point in time, just for your information, in the Kaaba, in the Haram, they used to pray four separate jama'at. So the Shafi'i Imam comes, and all the Shafi'iyah come and pray behind him. Then he leaves. Then the Hanafi Imam comes, and all the Hanafis pray behind him. Then they, you, are, you tell Hanafi's brother, he's your Muslim brother, pray behind him. He goes, brother, oh Allah, he, this guy, he's Shafi'i Imam. Allahu A'la, he probably bled a ton of blood and never, made, never repeated his wudu. How do I know? And uh, Shafi'i never prays behind the Hanafi. He goes, man, this guy, Allah Alam, he's probably kissed his wife 200 kisses and just came to the masjid. Oh. Although my salah not to be accepted. And you find this constant, you know, exaggeration in how strictly do you follow a madhab and how do you deal with brothers from other madhab. And you find the other extreme. In the other extreme, there's what? The other horizon. Brother, if you follow a madhab, you are a kafir, a mushrik, you are uh, taking arbab other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now your rabb is Abu Hanifa, now your rabb is. A... Brother, relax. He's following, you know, a school of thought. No, brother, that's not Islam. It is bid'ah, it is innovation. You have to follow Quran and Sunnah, you have to follow Dalil. So today, inshallah, we will just revise the matter from a ilmi perspective so that each and every Muslim. Is on a straight path, inshallah. And of course, whatever I say today doesn't mean that this is deen. Because you will hear maybe another 200 opinions just in Sydney. So at the end of the day, we advise, and then everyone has to do his uh, homework. So, all right? So, the famous question should the Muslim follow a madhab or he shouldn't follow a madhab? And if he follows a madhab, is he allowed to take one or two masail from the other madhab or is that like kufr, shirk, whatever? Which, which level of hellfire will I be in if I take a fatwa from another madhab, you know? Or should I not follow any madhab? And if someone asks me, I say, brother, I'm not a blind follower, brother, I'm, you know? Brother, I follow Quran and Sunnah. And what should the Muslim do when he comes to practice his deen? Do you have to research? Are you obliged by Allah Azza wa Jal to research every single mas'ala, every single topic of sharia? Or are you allowed to ask someone that knows better than you or studied the matter? 
These are the questions that we will discuss today. In a nutshell, my brothers and my sisters, like we said, we're going to talk she logic now. Logic, basic logic. We know for a fact, these are the facts that we know. We know for a fact that for you to do ishtihad, to be a mushtahid, to be an extractor, to be a alim in deen, a mufti in deen, you don't need to ask anyone or talk to anyone. There are basic logical criteria that need to exist in you. And this criteria is not, it did not come in the Quran, it did not come in the Sunnah, it did not come uh, from uh, Mashaykh and Ulama's opinion. They are very, very, it's a very, very logical selection of criteria. This is the basic logical criteria you have to have to be able to deduct a fatwa. If you have this criteria, we call you, we name you a mushtahid. You are, there's a blue tick beside your name. You are allowed to earn, you are allowed to give fatawa. You are allowed to deduct your own masail. You can say, I disagree. You know? If you don't have this criteria, we highly recommend that you shut your mouth and do another, another level of ishtihad. Another form of effort. And this effort is an effort of searching amongst those who have blue ticks, amongst those mujtahideen, who do I ask? Who do I trust? Who do I follow? Do you understand the debate? Now we're going to go now into a bit more of the debate. What is a mujtahid and what is the requirement of being a mujtahid? A mujtahid, my brothers, is someone who has reached a certain level of criteria and knowledge that is very logical. Someone now wants to deduct a fatwa. What is the logical requirement? What is the logical yani, rule for this person? One, he needs to know what to deduct from. Do you agree with me or not? I need to know what do I deduct from? If I don't know what I am deducting from, then you might as well pack your bags and you know, what deduction are you going to do? What extraction are you going to do? So the first thing is you need to be a specialist and you know what the sources of Sharia are. So for example, definitely, definitely, like we said, there are four main sources of Sharia. When I say source of Sharia, yani raw material that the mujtahid looks at and extracts a fatwa. One is Quran, right? Agreed upon. The word of Allah is the most important source of our Sharia, our deen, we know from the Quran. Two is the hadith of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sunnah. And three is Al-Ijma'ah, the agreement and consensus of the mujtahideen, the people with blue ticks in a certain era after the death of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is called Ijma'ah. I need to know this Ijma'ah because I can't break it. 
And number four is Qiyas, analogy, which is finding similitude between a mas'ala that we have a ruling for and a mas'ala that we do not have a ruling for. They are very similar to each other in the reasoning, in the illa, and this is why I give this mas'ala, this new mas'ala, this new topic, I give it the same ruling as the, as the mas'ala that we already know of. And we will not discuss these matters in depth now, but just a, a quick pass. These are the four <coughs> agreed upon sources of Sharia. I'm going to assume for now, for the purpose of our talk, that these are the only four sources, so we don't enter further debate. What is the logical requirement now for Alam, my brothers? Well, first of all, he has to be a Hafid of the Quran. Or imagine you are trying to extract, you are trying to extract a mas'ala. I'm trying to extract a ruling. Alright? And there's an ayah in the Quran that specifically talks about this ruling. But I don't know the whole Quran. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Imagine, imagine. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, for example, a certain hukm. لِلذَّكَرِ مِتْلُ حَظِّ the male gets double the share of a female in inheritance. It so happens that I'm a hafiz of the Quran, but I did not memorize Surah An-Nisa. And someone asks me a question, I say, no problem, brother, there's a blue tick beside my name, Mushtahid. I can make ishtihad. And I say, Baba, wallah, Islam is a deen of justice. So male gets equal to the female. Why did I come to this error? Why? Brother, you... There's, an, there's a clear ayah in the Qur'an that you, you don't know of. You're not, you're not a half of the Qur'an. So what's the first logical requirement in this mujtahid? He has to be a half of the Qur'an. Do you agree with me or this is not logical? Or else you're going to reach a wrong result. Your ishtihad is flawed because your information is incomplete. So I have to be a half of the Qur'an. Some ulama squeeze this condition a bit and said, okay, let's not, let's not be so harsh. He has to be at least a hafid of all ayat al-ahkam. All the ayat in the Quran that speak about rulings. So for example, he doesn't need to know the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. Because, you know, but then here's the problem that the other mashayikh said. Well, if he doesn't know Surah Yusuf, how does he know that one of the ayat of Surah Yusuf is not talking about the mas'ala he will deduct soon. He doesn't know unless he, he reads it, becomes familiar with it. So whatever it is, he has to be very, very familiar with the book of Allah Azza wa Jal from back to front, from front to back. Logical requirement or not? He has to know every single hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Correct or not? Imagine my brother, someone is making ishtihad. I am Mr. You know, Mujtahid with the blue tick and I want to deduct masail. But there is an authentic hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that I don't know of. So I give my fatwa, I give my ruling based on what? Based on my ignorance. I don't have, I don't know this hadith. Kids, Habibi, 
Please be quiet. Okay? <laughs> the shock. <laughs> what have I done? Please. So, if there's a hadith regarding a mas'ala that I'm unaware of, then definitely what's going to happen, my result will be wrong. Like this lady that came to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu And she said to him, what's this fatwa you're giving about the eyebrows? I want to pluck my eyebrows. He goes, that's haram. So she says to him, I've read the Qur'an from beginning to end. And there's no ayah in the Qur'an saying anything about it's haram to pluck the eyebrows. So Abdullah Masood said, yes, there is. She goes, by Allah, I read the whole Qur'an, there's not one ayah referring to eyebrows. So he, radiallahu anhu, said, didn't you hear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, وَمَا أَتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا didn't hear Allah ordering you to obey Muhammad She said, yes. He goes, well, I heard the Prophet saying, Allah has cursed the plucked and the plucker. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu knew a hadith, knew words of the Prophet that this lady did not know. So because of her ignorance, when she tried to make ishtihad, she reads the wrong result. She doesn't know the hadith. And likewise, if someone wants to make ishtihad about any mas'ala, if there's a hadith <coughs> regarding this mas'ala that he is unaware of, clearly his ishtihad will be flawed, which means what he needs to know each and every hadith sahih of the Prophet And to take a step back, he needs to be able to identify which hadith is sahih and which hadith is da'if. Correct or not? Imagine if he's a hadith. He goes, oh, wallah, you know, I found the hadith about Rasulullah saying, da 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 da, brother, it's forged. Or it's not authentic. Or there's khilaf. So if there's khilaf, who's the judgment? You are the mujtahid. You should be able to give us your verdict. Is it authentic? Is it not authentic? Do you understand? So he needs to be a master of Quran. He needs to be a master of the science of hadith. He needs to know every single ijma' of his predecessors. He needs to know the ijma' of the ummah. Or else we enter this fawda of moon sighting. Why is there fawda in moon sighting? Because people don't understand ijma'. What is the benefit of ijma'? What does ijma' mean? Ijma' means my brothers and sisters, by definition, that when, when the mushtahideen, the people at the high level of knowledge, in any era, in any zaman, after the death of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, if they agree on a ruling, what happens? What's the effect of ijma'? What is the beauty of ijma'? This topic becomes sealed, becomes closed, becomes not open for discussion after this. And there are very, very famous scholars in Islam that were known narrators of Ijma'ah. Like Ibn al-Mundir, 
مس فيمس قلفوا اجماع ابن عبد البر القرطبي النووي ابن تيميه رحمه الله عليهم جميعا all these مشايخ were known for narration of agreement and اجماع amongst the mujtahidin they wrote books about اجماع what is the benefit of اجماع for a mujtahid the benefit of اجماع for a mujtahid is that he knows where he is allowed to make ishtihad where he is allowed to invest time and effort to deduct a fatwa and where the stories close like someone now he wakes up in the morning says I'm a mujtahid inshallah I want to discuss the topic of hijab is hijab fard or sunnah I want to discuss this topic brother if you knew the basic rules of ishtihad you know that this topic is not open for conversation in the first place why it is not open for ishtihad because there's an ijma' before you there's an ijma' in the ummah narrated not by one not by two by all the scholars that hijab is fard on the women in, uh, in islam finished there's no there's no door for you to make ishtihad rather if you make ishtihad in this mas'ala This is very, very clear proof that you are not qualified for ishtihad. Do you understand? Yani any ammi that sees a mujtahid breaking ijma' should reach what conclusion? I'm following the wrong guy. <laughs> This guy is not qualified for ishtihad in the first place because the first requirement of ishtihad is to know the ijma' of those who are before you. This is the sacred law that you can't break. Do you understand what we're saying, my brothers? So knowing the ijma' of your predecessors is a very, very important logical requirement for anyone that wants to become a mujtahid. And last but not least is the qiyas. To have the ability, the knowledge of fiqh, of sharia, to make analogy, to understand ilal. And then the ulama add very, very logical points after this. One of the other sources of Sharia is something, for example, called Fatwa Sahabi. Some ulama are of the opinion that when we can't find, in any mas'ala, if we can't find Ijma', we can't find Qiyas, we can't find Quran, we can't find Sunnah, what should be our next reference point straight away? Any Fatwa or any ruling a Sahabi gave, like Abdullah ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, because these people were very, very close to the Prophet And their piety and their deen and their knowledge and their understanding of Sharia outweighs anything we will ever reach. So some ulama, like Imam Ahmad, in the Hanbali Madhab, in Hanbali Madhab, it's the rule, it's a system. Fatwa Sahabi is the next go-to straight away. Alright? Some ulama, even in Hanbali Madhab, say Fatwa Sahabi is stronger than Qiyas. And difference of opinion of course and what so but it shows you the importance so if you want to be a mujtahid you better know what the sahaba radiallahu anhum gave as rulings all right what was their ishtihad what fatawa did they give the fatawa of umar the fatawa of bakr radiallahu anhu knowing the narrations about the fatawa which narration is correct which narration is fake am i logical now are you being with me in logic it's very very logical then the mashayikh said well and of course without Arabic language, this person is a clown. Because how are you going to know Quran? How are you going to know Sunnah? Imagine you're a half of Quran. 
but you don't know Arabic. Is there any benefit now for any deduction? So you need to be able, to, so you need to be at the highest level of Arabic language, the highest standard of Arabic language, to be able to understand Quran properly, understand the Sunnah properly, understand the fatawa of the ulama, to make qiyas properly, you need to be a master of the Arabic language. So any clown that comes to you and says to you, I'm a mushtahid, and you know that he doesn't talk Arabic, big fat red X, you know that this person should not even be talking about Sharia in the first place, because he does not even know the language of Sharia. So Arabic language, so the ulama say, if you want to go to depth, they say, Nahu, Sarf, Balagha, Arud and Qawafi. Under Arabic language, there's four or five sciences that you have to master. Then the mashayikh add to all these sciences, Ilm Usul al-Fiqh. Well, there's a whole branch in our Sharia that speaks about ishtihad and how to deduct and how to extract and what are the different extraction methods. And when you have different sources of Sharia giving different results in a ruling, how do you give preference? What supersedes what? Does Quran supersede Sunnah? Does the Hadith supersede Quran? Does Ijma' supersede a hadith? Does a hadith in Bukhari supersede a hadith in Muslim? This is called what? A whole science, a whole science called Ilm al-Tarjih. What is, what has more weight? What is stronger than what? Then, after all these sciences, they add a very logical ingredient. They say, even if he has all of this, the mushtahid has to be pious. Imagine he knows all of this and he's a munafiq. Is there any benefit now to his ishtihad? There's no way. So he has to be a pious Muslim, adl, known for piety, not known for sin or haram, knowing Allah Azza wa Jal, practicing the deen of Allah Azza wa Jal properly. So they speak about adal. He has to be a adl. He has to be a pious and just Muslim. Fulfill all these conditions, and then you get a blue thing. Then we say to you, we respect your opinion in Sharia. Now when you speak, now when you talk, your words have, your opinion now has value in Islam. Your opinion has value in Islam. If you talk, if you give your opinion in Islam, and you don't have these conditions, your opinion has no value. No one should care about your opinion because anyone, there's 8 billion Muslims in the world. Imagine my brothers and my sisters if everyone says an opinion. Brother, Allah, you know what? <clears throat> like we hear, Wallahi, we hear so many times. Uh, a brother or a sister says, ah, oh, look man, Wallah, I've done my own research. Your own research? What do you mean you've done your own research? I've done my own research on the matter and I believe this is halal. My, my humble, look at the group. My humble opinion is that this is halal. There's nothing humble about your opinion. Your opinion is very arrogant. Because if you are humble, the only thing you should do is shut your mouth. You don't have any other capacity except to shut your mouth. This is the only thing you can do in this field. Shutting up. Saying, I don't know. I'm not educated in the field. It's exactly... Like what we do with medicine. You know, doctors, 
rightfully are arrogant. <laughs> Why are doctors generally speaking, you know, a doctor, you studied, you know, you went to school, year 12, you struggled, and then, you know, maybe one, two years in uni and you ran away. This guy has been studying for 30 years. So you go to a doctor and he's telling you, ah, oh, he looks at you, one, two minutes, ta -ta 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 -ta. just take this medicine. Doctor, can you please have a conversation with me and explain to me why, you know, these patients, they don't want to, they don't want to secure, they want to understand. So doctors sometimes are civil, they're nice. He goes, ah, oh, look, what you have is A, B, and C, so this medicine, inshallah, will help you. Yeah, but how? No, I can't tell you how, I've studied 20 years. I can't, I can't summarize the 20 years for you now. This is my advice, you want to take the medicine, take it. You don't want to take it, the next patient is waiting, get the hell out of me. This is how doctors are, why? He's not going to give you a medicine lesson. He just gives you his fatwa. His fatwa on medicine. The same thing exactly. After 20, 30 years of study, the doctor gives you his fatwa, his diagnosis, and his dawa, his medicine. And most of us, because we know we are ignorant in medicine, what do we do? Yes, doctor. Thank you, doctor. Thank you very much. And the doctor said, Take this medicine. Now I'm going to take it, brother. It's a pill. I don't know what does it, what has it, what's inside. What does this medicine do, brother? I don't know. I have a prescription. The doctor said, take this medicine. Salamu alaikum. The majority of people. And some people say, no, brother, I've done my own research. These people end up in the hospital usually. <laughs> Why? Because they're haram. You know, there's something called the Google patient. You know, when it was, some people, when they get sick, nowadays especially. Before it wasn't that bad. Nowadays, when people get sick, ya latif, ya latif, ya latif. As soon as he gets sick, he has a headache. Oh my God, I have a headache. Straight away, Google. Ah, uh, I have a headache. What does this mean? Allahu Akbar, Wallahu Al-Azim. Anyone who reads Google, when he gets sick, he will find he has AIDS, Ebola, cancer. He will end up, I'm dying. Just take me to Rukwood, take me to Rukwood. And then you go to the doctor, he just laughs, gives you panadol, says, go home, inshallah, it'll be better in two days. If you keep reading what symptoms mean, ya <laughs> Don't be arrogant. You studied accounting. MashaAllah, you're very good in accounting. This is what you studied. This is where you spent your time. This is where your expertise is. Focus on that. You can't know everything in the world. Likewise, there's someone called a alim. And this alim has went and spent 10, 20 years of his life studying Quran and Sunnah and Hadith. Please don't come today, you know, when you don't know how to read, يعني, read Arabic, understand Arabic, and, and you know, disrespect a alim. It's not right. It's not right. But we have this. Arrogance amongst us. So anyway, so the ulama, basically in a nutshell, they divided the ummah into two categories. You are one of two. Either you are a mushtahid, yani you've reached a, the high caliber of knowledge, or you are a muqallid. Or we say, look, we respect you, we love you, but you are ignorant. You are blind. And what does a blind person do? You have to follow someone. You have to follow a pious 
genuine mujtahid. You are A or B. There's no trans. Remember, there's no transgender. There's no half mujtahid. There's no half mujtahid, half ammi. We don't have trans in deen. You're either male or female. You're either a mujtahid or a muqallid. So if we agree on this very logical division in the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this makes things much, much clearer. I am a mujtahid. I am a person of high caliber. My effort is to study, put effort in deducting masail from its sources, fearing Allah with piety, with depth, with understanding, and Allah Azza wa Jal will question me for this effort. Or I'm a Ammi. I'm one of the public people. I don't have Islamic knowledge. My Islamic knowledge is very, very basic. What do I do? My, my job now is nothing. No, the ulama say the job of the Ammi is to do his homework, do his research, to choose who? To choose the mujtahid that he will follow. Who do you take your deen from? Like when you're sick, when you have a flu, you go to the GP around the corner, صح? Why? Allah, I've had flu 200 times before. I'm gonna go, get prescription, inshallah, it's either, it's, if it's very, very light, it's panadol, oh, give me some antibiotics or whatever, go home, Zakallah khair, ya doctor, ahla doctor, biddinya, wallah, may Allah reward you, salamu alaykum. But wal'adu billah, if you get cancer, what happens? You don't go to the GP around the corner, so what do you do? You start doing research. Stop asking around. Boys, Allah, I got diagnosed with cancer, man. Then people will start directing you to their research. Who is the best specialist in this field? Brother, this is not flu. I don't have a flu. Brother, I need to find the best cancer doctor. Wallah al-Azim, sometimes people travel. They leave Australia. Go to brother Australia, brother, get the hell out of me, man. I'm going to go to Germany, I'm going to go to Japan. Some people fly to Mexico because it's a very, very, you know, known specialist in this field. I want the best of the best. Why? Because my life depends on it. Well, guess what, my brothers? When you follow someone in deen, it means you are entrusting this person with your deen, with your akhirah. And Allah subhanahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to question you about this selection. Why? Allah is not going to ask you about the mas'ala because you don't know. Allah is not going to ask you, why did you believe this was halal? Because, ya Allah, I don't know Quran, I don't know sunnah. You know, I'm not a alim, I'm not a, I'm not a mushtahid. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to ask you, why did you choose A? Why did you choose B? This selection is where the responsibility and the liability is. Now, how do we choose those people who give us fatawa in deen? How do we do this nowadays? How? Unfortunately, we have become a very, very, very lazy ummah. Because we don't really care about deen that much. Because we don't care about akhirah anyway. Because deen is just like that marginal thing 
topic on our minds. Our effort in research for this mushtahid is very, very limited. Most people nowadays, just Maulana Google, nothing else Almanu. Brother Wallahi, I checked on the internet and Alhamdulillah, I read a few mashayikh saying it's halal. This is, it's like when someone, when someone goes to, the, to eat in any restaurant and he sees a big halal sign. The majority of people, this is what? Happy days, brother, green light. Look at a huge halal sign. Eat. Allah, he, you know, this guy sells pork, he sells khanzir, he sells batik, he doesn't know, you know. Like nowadays, and it came out with this um, machine slaughtered chicken that has been uh, gassed. You know, they say, ah, oh, now gassing is haram. How many years in this masjid have you heard us say, brothers, please don't eat machine slaughtered chicken, it is munkhaniqa. And people say, brother, Shaykh, wallah, you're very strict, wallah, that. Guess what, brother? Six, seven years you're eating haram. Six, seven years you're eating a dead animal. But you never cared. You never cared. Why? Brother, well, everything is haram, brother. We're in Australia, man. Khalas. I heard one Shaykh say, say Bismillah and eat. Because if I say Bismillah on a maita, it becomes halal. A dead animal, I say Bismillah, becomes halal. But really, people, they don't want to know what's halal. They don't care what's halal. They're not interested in what's halal. They just want what's easy for the nafs. So, usually when, we, when it comes to our deen, we choose the easiest fatwa. Or the, you know, my family, my, like, you know, you have, you have the family doctor, that's the family sheikh. You know what I mean? The family sheikh. You're at majority even. People don't care about majority. The family sheikh. Ah, oh, brother, wallahi, me and my father and my mother, we used to always go to this sheikh in this masjid and he is our, you know, like brother. Allah said in the Quran, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ اتَّبِعُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ When the kuffar of Quraysh, when the kuffar are told, follow what Allah says. قَالُوا بَلْ نَتَّبِعُ مَا أَلْفَيْنَا عَلَيْهِ آبَاءً No, 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 we follow what we are. We follow what our family has been doing, have <laughs> been used to for years. Allah says, look at the logic, Allah says, أَوَلَوْ كَانَ آبَاءُهُمْ لَا يَعْقِلُونَ شَيْئًا وَلَا يَهْتَدُونَ How about if your parents were idiots? However, if your parents, they have no aql, they have no guidance. Just follow. One brother says, Brother Allah, whatever my father says, I do. But what if your father is the breaking the ijma' of the ummah? You know? What if your father is pushing you towards haram? What if the, your family sheikh has no qualification? Like most of the time in Australia. You know? When people migrated to Australia, there was no real ulama. So, you know, we have an Egyptian saying, say, Al-A'war, La'war, La'war bin al-Umiyan, the one-eyed man, the one-eyed man, between blind people, is a specialty. <laughs> you know, when you're one-eyed, you have one eye, you're La'war, you can't see properly. But if you are among people who are completely blind, you are a, uh, you know, this guy has one eye. So, when people migrated to Australia, naturally, there wasn't much mashayikh and ulama. So certain people that knew a little bit more than the others became what? Became, Baba, this is Fulan al-Fulani, Baba. He's been the sheikh of this masjid. Baba, but this guy doesn't talk Arabic. 
Like this guy doesn't read Quran properly. He, 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 you know? No, brother, he's the family chef. This should not be your criteria. Or some people have another criteria, which is, brother, wallah, the easiest fatwa. Anyone who gives me the easy fatwa, I love him. Whatever it is, the old mashaa. Look, look, look how manipulative. Look, look how manipulative the narrative is. He says, brother, I respect all mashaikh wallah equally. Really, he's the biggest kazaf. He doesn't respect mashaikh or anything. He just wants his nafs. So he hides behind what, brother, I respect all mashaikh. So if anyone says something is halal, I respect him. I really respect him and alhamdulillah, I trust. Brother, but that's not deen. Deen doesn't mean that. Deen doesn't mean, brother, anyone gives any fatwa, you just follow whatever suits your nafs. Like this funny guy that came in Eid, he goes to me, Shaykh, what's happening for Eid? I go, brother, wallah, some people are Friday, some people are, you know, we're waiting for the moon. He goes, who's first? Who's having the first Eid? I'm with them. <laughs> brother, 29 is enough. He wants the easy Eid, you know. Some people, you know, Allah, he asks, Shaykh, brother, is riba haram, haram, haram. He asks 200 mashaykh in Australia. They all say haram. Then he finds one Shaykh one day. He goes, brother, ah, no, no problem. He goes, wallah, you, you enter. Enter, you are the biggest alim out of them. Why did he choose him? Because he's more knowledgeable? Because he's more pious? He's more God-fearing? Because it suits his nafs. He thinks now, Brother, I've done what I have to do and I asked the alam, Brother, you are dreaming that you're off the hook. Do you think Allah doesn't know that when you took the fatwa from this alam and reject the fatwa from all these ulama, you chose this one because it suits your nafs? You think Allah doesn't know this conversation that happened? You think Allah doesn't know how you came to this decision? Allah knows you just want a fatwa. You want a door out. So don't claim that, Ya Allah, Wallahi, I was doing my best to please you and obey you. No, I just wanted a green card, a way out. Allah knows the people who go fatwa shopping. This is why the mashayikh say, anyone, my brothers, who wants to follow deen, he should do his effort, his maximum effort in choosing what? In choosing the mushtahid to follow. Who, which mushtahid do I follow? Which alim? We will not be asked about the details of Masan. Allah will not say to you, how come you neglected this hadith and took by this hadith? I don't know this hadith or that hadith, ya Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to you, why did you follow this man? So some people will say, uh, he was accessible. Allah will say, is this how cheap your deen is? Just anyone who is accessible. So when you got cancer, you you found the doctor who the doctor who answered his phone. That's why. That's why. That's how you took the medicine. Where is your effort? Where is your where is your jihad? Where is your effort to find what is pleasing to Allah Azza wa Jal? Allah will question the ammi about this. This is how awam public people will not get off the hook. Because the selection is flawed and based on culture or nafs or hawa. Then, if the Muslim is genuine and he lives in our time and he, he wants to follow what is right, you will find a, a very, very, very confusing environment. Let's be honest, you know, in Australia, he. 
you are born here in Australia, you're in the 21st century, I don't know which century we're in, 21st I think. Alright, you're born in the 21st century and you want to follow Deen, you want to follow what's right. You'll find a very, very confusing, competitive environment. You will find some mashayikh claiming something, other mashayikh claiming something else, a third mashayikh claiming, a third group claiming something else. Different groups and different fatawa and different ulama. What did the ulama say as advice in our time? Listen back carefully. They say, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. In our deen, in our deen, in our, the structure of our deen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed this ummah with these four madahib. What are these four madahib, my brothers? I'm Abu Hanifa, I'm Malik, I'm Shafi, and I'm Ahmed. These four imams, they came in Asr al-A'imah. You all lived around 200 years after the Prophet around this time, 150. Abu Hanifa, they say he was born, some ulama say born 80 Hijri, yani 80 years after the death of Muhammad maybe 70 years after his death, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So they were very, very close to the time of Sahaba, Tabi'een, and Adba'at Tabi'een. And these mashayikh and ulama came and they did not just give fatawa. They did not just say, some people think, what is a madhab? Oh, well, Abu Hanifa said, this is halal, this is haram. Brother, you, you, you don't know the basics of Sharia. Abu Hanifa didn't just give fatawa. Imam Shafi'i did not just give fatawa. Imam Malik did not just give fatawa. They laid foundations of deduction. They made a school. What is a school of fiqh? It's a school of deduction. It's a, a detailed methodology, a systematic way of deducting a ruling from the sources of Sharia. Abu Hanifa radiallahu anhu laid his foundations. Imam Shafi'i laid his foundations and they differed amongst Imam Malik laid his foundation. Ahmad laid his foundation. And based on this foundation came after them not one alim, not one student, not three, not four, not ten, not a thousand. We are talking about Literally, literally, in the Hanafi Madhah, for example, definitely millions of ulama. Millions of ulama. Not only in his time, we are talking 14 centuries now, or 13 or 12 centuries. 1200 years of mashayikh and ulama of the highest caliber of knowledge coming, stamping a fatwa, revising it, detailing it, restricting it, expanding it. In all facets of life. This is why we tell people in our time, brother, the way of the Salaf, the way of our predecessors, has always been, if you want to learn your deen, you find yourself obliged at the basic level to follow what? To follow? Learn a madhab. Some people say, no, brother, there was no madhab in Rasulullah's time. We agree. Don't state the obvious. The sun is there and we all know it's there. Of course, there was no madhab in Rasulullah's time because when he was alive, there was no need for khilaf. There was no need for difference of opinion. Why would the, why would the ummah have difference of opinion if the Prophet is alive? But after he died, what do we do? 
The brother gets angry. He goes, brother, follow sunnah. He goes, brother, what do these mashayikh, what, what are they mashayikh following? When Abu Hanifa gives the fatwa, what do you think he's following? He's following Battikh and Kusayani. This is his understanding and deduction from Quran and Sunnah and Ijma' and Qiyas and the other sources. It's a methodology. What does Imam Shafi'i follow? Brother, follow. Brother, we follow Hadith, brother. Brother, what's Imam Shafi'i following? These mashayikh, it's not one sheikh. Some people say, oh, brother. But Abu Hanifa, you know, in his time, the hadith wasn't documented properly yet. This is why his madhab is, you know, a bit of sikimiki, you know, they go against the hadith. Okay, brother, your ignorance knows no levels, wallahi. Brother, when we say the madhab of Abu Hanifa, we don't mean the fatawa of Abu Hanifa. Or Abu Hanifa didn't know the hadith. How about the one million ulama that came after him? Following the same methodology. They don't know the hadith of Rasulullah. They don't know Bukhari. They don't know Muslim. Or are you saying that all these millions of ulama, they are just biased, prejudiced people that follow their hawa and desire and they left the Quran and the Sunnah and the Adillah and they still wanted to follow Abu Hanifa. What ignorance is this? The biggest ulama of hadith are in the Hanafi Madhab. It is just a difference in methodology, in understanding, in deduction. If you study basics of Sharia, you will know what happens. But if you don't, if we understand, maybe it's hard to comprehend. But the Sahaba differed, radiallahu anhum. Abu Bakr and Umar, same language, same family, from Quraysh, with Muhammad all their life. And after that of Rasulullah, they differed together in opinion so much that Abu Bakr said, Umar, are you intentionally doing this? Every time I see something, you say the opposite. They differed so much, and this is only two years after the death of Muhammad. Imagine now, different masail and different countries and different cultures and different details and new things are appearing every day. So the mashayikh of the madhaib, they left a methodology. This is why, if someone wants to be on the safe side for his deen, what advice do we give him? Say, brother, someone says, Shaykh, are you telling me it's haram for me? To follow Sheikh A in Sydney. Wallah al-Azim, he is the strongest alim in Sydney. He is, you know, the sword of uh, deen. He is, mashallah, go brother, alhamdulillah. May Allah reward you. I want to ask you a question. See this alim that you love in Sydney? If this alim was alive in Abu Hanifa's time, do you think anyone will ask him a question? Bring this alim? And bring Abu Hanifa, you know, they, they have a famous story of Abu Hanifa, rahmatullah They say Abu Hanifa was once in his masjid, you know, and he was a very, very simple, humble man. So they say, uh, they say, he was sitting in his masjid and he was reclined, and he was relaxed amongst his students. He had his legs stretched out. So one huge sheikh, big amama, big noor, you know, entered the masjid. No one knows him, stranger. So he entered the masjid and approached Abu Hanifa, rahmatullah So when he approached him, Abu Hanifa felt shy. This man looks like he's a big mama, you know? So Abu Hanifa, rahmatullah alayhi, he, he, you know, pulled his legs back. He folded his legs and said properly, you know, who is this man, who is this guest? And then the man started talking, and then as soon as he started talking, lahana fil lugha. He started putting fatha where the Dhamma should go. You know, he doesn't know how to look Arabic properly. So when this happened, Abu Hanifa had a small smile and he stretched his legs back again. 
فقال انا لابو حنيفه ان يمد قدميه ابو حنيفه كان ناو ريلاكس يو So imagine this chef, let's say for example, some people are very funny. A brother comes to me, or a sister calls for example. And she says, Sheikh, uh, what's your opinion on this matter? So I say, Wallahi sister, Wallahi brother, I have no opinion. Uh, Abu Hanifa said this, Imam Shafi'i said this, the Hanafiya said that. So I want to know your opinion. I go, didn't understand what I just said to you. Do you comprehend Arabic language or English language? I'm telling you that the ulama differed. Abu Hanifa said this, Malik said, no, 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 I want to know your, what do you follow? But let's say, for example, I followed A. Why does this have any value? <laughs> Who am I in the ummah? Imagine if I was alive in Imam Shafi'i, I disagree with him. How funny would this conversation be? Leave Imam Shafi'i, if I was alive in Imam Nawawi's time, 600 years later. Do you think I'll even be in the masjid with them? You'll be allowed in the masjid. You'll even be allowed in the halaqah. But some people are so blinded with love. They don't understand ranks. You understand what I'm saying? Like already any sheikh in Australia, he has an X beside his name. Because really you are a sheikh only. Why? Because no sheikh in this country. That's the only reason why we are a sheikh. It's the honest truth. You know? like for example, if you go to Egypt and say, Sheikh Omar al-Banna. People will say who? What are you talking about? Who's this guy? Baba, Sheikh Omar, brother, Masjid al-Nur. What the hell are you describing? Who is he talking about? You you only became known, why? Because you are in? La'war bin al-Umyan, you know? Exactly. They once went, Wallahi, some brothers from Sydney, he went to study in uh, in Egypt. And... (laughs) Very, very funny story. They went to study in Egypt, they were studying there. And then, subhanAllah, I think amongst the Mashaikh Abu Bakr Zod and other, other students, mashallah, they were studying in Egypt at a time. And then they went to meet one of my Mashaikh. His name is very famous Sheikh. His name is Sheikh al Alright? So they went to him and visited him, you know. And then they knew that I had some sort of relationship. I studied with him and that. So they go to him, ah, oh, uh, Alhamdulillah, we're Australia, this, that, you know, we have Sheikh Omar al-Banna. He goes, who? <laughs> they, they, they think the story to me. He goes, who? Sheikh Omar al-Banna. Oh, is he a Sheikh there already? <laughs> the Sheikh said, is, is, is Omar now a Sheikh there? <laughs> he started laughing. Why are we Mashaikh in Australia? Because there's no one here to teach anything. Really, my brothers, amongst the ulama, we know our rank. You know what I mean? So be humble. There's no need for you about khalas because you have some, you know, you have 10, 20 students in Australia, mashallah, that don't know how to read or write Arabic. And not, they, are, they are flabbergasted because you are, you know, reading Quran. Oh, Akbar, brother, this guy knows Quran, brother. <laughs> you know? Just because you're flabbergasted by your shaykh, it doesn't mean he is something. We... And all the mashayikh in Australia, and all the mashayikh living in our time, without doubt, without doubt, without an ounce of doubt, our caliber gathered together, together, all, if we put all our powers together, compared to any of the ulama of the past, you are a zero on the left, you have no value. This is the reality of the world we live in. You have to understand, brother, you're, you're driving on the street in Australia, you're seeing billaboards of naked women. 
billboards of naked women and you know, ghadab and haram. You're living on land that's stolen from its people, ard ghasm. And you want to compare yourself to the mashaykh of the past? Baba, you are nothing. You have no value. This is why it is funny when we find people, students of knowledge that want deen, they want akhirah, they don't care what Imam Shafi'i said. I don't care about Shafi'i, what did you say? <laughs> something is wrong with your brain. And unfortunately, because we have nufus also, because we're human beings, sometimes mashayikh fall in this error. Instead of humbling himself and teaching you your error in judgment, Hey brother, what are you saying? Brother, I am nothing compared to these people. The sheikh gets carried away. He goes, yeah, yeah, well. Abu Hanifa said this. <coughs> Malik said this. Ahmed said this. And my opinion is... Your opinion? Brother, what opinion are you talking about? Who in the first place said you have any blue tick? Who gave you this credibility to make ishtihad in the first place? How dare you actually make ishtihad? In our time, when we know for a fact amongst us that you are a big baktikha of knowledge. You don't know anything. No, brother, wallah, I make ishtihad. Brother, I make ishtihad and this is my opinion and people should respect my opinion. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. The start of the corruption of the ummah is the disrespect of the salaf. The disrespect of the predecessors. And this is why we teach people, brother, sister, if you want your deen to be safe, listen to my advice carefully. If you want to be safe in your deen, in any mas'ala, in any fatwa you will follow in your deen, do not follow any modern sheikh. Any sheikh born or lived in the last 200 years, including myself, sack us. Take my advice. Wipe us off the list. Wipe these mashayikh that are the product of World War II and American domination and Western invasion. Wipe us off the list. We are definitely not qualified. If you are going to follow a fatwa, stick to the purity of the four schools of thought that have been established for more than 1200 years, every fatwa in the madhab has been studied, discussed, refuted, debated, argued over centuries, and then stamped. Not by one sheikh. Even when you stand in front of Allah Azza wa Jal on judgment day, say, Allah, this is the fatwa I chose. And Allah says to you, Why, Ya Umar, did you choose this fatwa? You hold your head up high and say, Allah, Allah, one million ulama and mushtahideen of the ummah said that this is the right way. So I followed the safe side. What's Allah going to say to you? What is Allah going to say to you? On the other hand, some people want to risk at his cost. They say, Allah, I did my own research. What research did you do? Oh, I, wallah, I typed on Google and I typed on YouTube and I watched this clip by this sheikh. Is this your deen? This is how cheap your deen is? When you come to take medicine, when you have cancer now, do you consult YouTube? When it comes to your important matters, do you just, you know, self-learn, self-taught? If a surgeon in Australia 
to be a surgeon in Australia, you need a license, right? You have to have a license to operate. If someone that does ha has no license operates on someone and succeeds in the operation, he saves the guy's life and the operation is a success. What does the authorities do to him? They put him in jail. You know, fact or not? If I, if, if Zabih comes to me and says, Shaykh, Wallahi, my legs hurting, my brother, Wallah, come, I'll operate. Ta, 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 I open him up, I watch some YouTube clips, and I operate, and Alhamdulillah, I saved him. And the authorities find out I go to jail. Why? I saved him! We could have killed him, you're an idiot, he's not qualified. Why is Deen so cheap? Why is your Deen so cheap? Why is it anyone can give you any fatwa? Why? Why? We should stick to what is known, what is established, and this is why we say, brother, sister, if you are gonna follow someone, if you are not if you're not a mushtahid, if you don't have a blue tick, then follow one of the four madhab. How do I choose which madhab to follow? How do I choose? Well, I want to become shafi'id. Use eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tire, you know? Do I any meaning mind? The Mashaykh said a long time ago, brother, you choose the madhab. Alright. Any of the four madhab based on the availability of the teacher at the time. Let's say from we're in Australia. In Australia here, it is very, very rare to find, for example, a Maliki Sheikh. Someone says, brother, I'm special. I don't want to be Shafi, I don't want to be Hanafi, I'm going to be Maliki. How cool, how great, mashallah. Who are you gonna ask? Who are you gonna, where are you gonna learn? Who's gonna teach you, you know? Oh, you were born in Algeria, for example, or Morocco, where 99% of the mashaykh are maliki. Say, you know what? I don't feel like being a maliki. I'm gonna be hanbali. Well, it doesn't make sense. If you are in a country that has, mashallah, multiple mashaykh of multiple madhaib, then you see, which of these mashayikh are more accessible to you? Who can you know? Then you take the other things into consideration, you know? Your family, your heritage, whatever. But la, I choose my madhab because of my uh, culture. Brother, I'm, I came from India, Pakistan. I live now in Australia. Let's say, for example, the, the, there's only Shafi'i mashayikh around me. But brother, I am historically Hanafi. Like you ask the Lebanese, all these, that, you know? Very, very funny. It's also, I believe Arabs in general, you know. Arabs in general, if you look, because the Arab world is the heart of the Muslim world, what happened? What happened? All the madhahib are very strong in the Arab world. So if you go to Egypt, there's a very strong Hanafi madhahib, very strong Shafi madhahib. You go to Lebanon, Sham, very strong Hanafi madhahib, very strong Shafi madhahib. So the people that live in these countries usually are a bowl of salad. You find them, you know, very funny. For example, you will find them all saying Ameen out loud. <coughs> so you hear Ameen, you think straight away, he's Shafi. But then when it comes to Salam, he gives Salam with the Imam. He doesn't wait for the Imam to finish two Taslimat like the Shafi's do. So you look at the brother and say, Brother, are you Shafi or Hanafi? He goes, I'm Shanafi. <laughs> <laughs> Some mas'ala from here, some mas'ala from there, but you know, he has no, he never studied deen properly. If you study your deen properly, 
Then you will have to follow one method. Some people say, brother, what if I want to study all the four madhaib? Brother, great. But you will need the ten years before you pray. Before, so before you pray one salah, you have to study now. Because everyone, takbir al-tahram. Ah, the shafi'i masail, hanafi masail, malki masail, hanbal. Study about each mas'ala and spend about all your life just before you pray. Brother, the mashayikh historically said a very simple rule. Brother, you have to study your deen. It is fun on you to learn your deen, the basics. So you study based on one madhab. If you, mashallah, prove yourself to be a genuine student of knowledge that has talent and ability and time and willingness, then we say, okay, then expand in the madhab, learn the other madhab, then choose one to specialize in. But if you are a battikha, you don't know anything, you don't know the Arabic language yet, and you just want a quick fix, why are you making your life hard? To see one sheikh that teaches you this madhab and tell the sheikh, Sheikh, please, I love you, I respect you, I really, 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 mashallah, think you're a very, very good sheikh, but don't give me your opinions. Be very honest. Say, I don't want to know your opinion, I just want to know what the Shafi'is say, what do Hanafis say, what do Malikis say, and you are safe. Now you will be left with a few masail that are new masail, you know, that the mashayikh and the madahib never discussed. New issues, new masail that just came up. Oh, brother said, oh, how about organ donation? Regarding organ donation, or any new mas'ala that we classify in our sharia as fiqh al-nawazil. Fiqh al-nawazil, they are the modern masail that happened recently. They came about recently that were never ever before. Like, you know, uh, how do you pray on the plane? How do you pray on the plane? What if the, you know, in the plane, the hostess say you can't pray? What do you know? All these new... In these one or two new masail, what is the safest way? Don't follow the fatwa of any individual alim. Follow the fatwa of the big majama, the big collaborations of ulama anywhere in the world. Like for example, Majma' Fiqh al-Islami, you know, from all the Muslim countries, they gather and discuss these new masail. Ah, uh, credit cards, all these things that are new, okay. Take modern ishtihad. But a brother comes to me and says, Shaykh, Wallahi, I want to make wudu properly. Why are you asking this, Shaykh, brother? You, 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 wudu has been discussed how long now? <laughs> Nothing changed. Wudu has been discussed for 12 centuries, brother. There's no need to go to Umar al-Banna, Wallah. Go to these mashayikh and see what they say. You know? Moon sighting, Wallah, Azim, it's A, B, C, Mas'ala. Hawa, hawa. So we say, my brothers, be safe, protect your deen, protect your akhirah, and follow a madhab. Now, people you will find, brothers and sisters, you know, these brothers, they are, uh, brother, we don't follow, we don't follow madhab, brother, we follow Quran and Sunnah. Say, brother, okay, so you want to follow Quran and Sunnah, can you explain to me what's your procedure of following Quran and Sunnah? His brother means we follow Dalil. We follow proof and evidence. Brother, are you qualified? Do you have any qualification to study any evidence? To give fatwa? He goes, no, but my mashayikh do. Brother, since you are following your mashayikh anyway, and you are a jahil, so you are also a muqallid. But instead of your shaykh being honest and telling you, 
that, you know, this is my ishtihad, this is my opinion. He says to you, brother, no brother, we follow Quran and Sunnah. Every shaykh in the world that ever gave any fatwa in his life claimed what? Claimed his following Quran and Sunnah. No one ever gave a fatwa and said, boys, I am not following Quran and Sunnah. No shaykh ever did this. Every shaykh made this claim. Because your shaykh is loud, and he said, Quran and Sunnah, Quran and Sunnah, does that make his fatwa closer to Quran and Sunnah? No, that's not the fact. The fact of the matter is, some people say, brother, oh, we don't follow a madhab, we follow the right opinion from each madhab. He makes a, he makes a collection, some from Shafi'i, some from Hanafi, based on what? Based on proof. Okay, so that's your opinion, sir. But that's not the opinion of Shafi'i. That's not the opinion of Hanafi. So all what you have done is you have created a fifth madhab, and now you are asking people to follow. Your tarjihat, your preferences from all the madahib. Why should people follow you? They're also now following Hawa. They're also following Bid'ah. I would rather follow Abu Hanifa, safer with Allah Azza wa Jal, than following you, you modern clown, you know? But some people, they fall for it. And because the Shaykh keeps saying, Quran and Sunnah, Quran and Sunnah, ya haram, the student feels there. And because of the gap of knowledge in Haram, he shows them one, two hadiths in Bukhari and says, Look, Abu Hanifa was wrong. Uh, Shafi'i was wrong. Because, mashallah, the million ulama that came after Abu Hanifa and Shafi'i all never saw this hadith. They never, they never, ya Haram. They never saw the hadith in Bukhari. That's why they made this mistake. They over, over, over exaggerate and they make people follow misguidance. So please be careful. And on the other hand, you have the strict astaghfirullah al-azim ya rab people that follow madhab to the extent like I told you that the other madhab are shirk and kufr brother it's not like that we understand that we follow a madhab we understand that as a muslim you should follow a madhab and not follow the rukhas but you have to also understand that there is khilaf in the ummah and the ummah differed and these other opinions on the other madhab are, they have strong weight they are very, very valuable. And we don't advise anyone to go fatwa shopping between the madahib. Following easy fatwa from here and there is fisk. It is sin. Because you end up leaving deen completely by just following your hawa. You're, you're doing exactly the opposite of what Allah Azza wa Jal wants you to do. So don't follow fatwa. But... If a Shafi'i, for example, takes one fatwa from the Hanafi Madhab, under guidance of his Shaykh, under guidance of the Mashayikh, or a Hanafi takes one fatwa, it's not the end of the world, especially if the fatwa is not an easy way out. And some fatwa are clear rukhas, clear easy way out. And some fatwa are just more suitable for certain people in certain times, like for example, some Hanafis, they have the very strict opinion that you're not allowed to eat prawns. He sees a prawn, it's like alcohol. But prawns, prawns, haram in Hanafi madhab. And you find that the Hanafis that live beside rivers or seas that have prawns, they've diluted this opinion. So you go to Bangladesh, all the Bengali mashayikh eat prawns. Even prawns, So environment and place makes the people sometimes, you know, see things differently. So. Don't be so close-minded. 
don't make the difference of opinion in madhahab the reason for if, reason for friendship and no friendship Allah, I'm with this guy is Hanafi like me we understand each other brother that's not Islam your madhab is your madhab we have ease alhamdulillah it's like no one is saying muck around in your deen completely but don't also choke yourself to the level where you can't breathe the space of movement under the guidance of mashayikh and ulama if you do this inshallah you will be in the middle path the path of our mashayikh and ulama and our predecessors on the way you muck around in your deen who knows allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that topic clear inshallah i think i've taken too long so i will stop here and i will open the door for five minutes of questions because i know i'm sure maybe i missed something or someone misunderstood something like i said quickly in five minutes because honestly yeah. <laughs> You all, mashallah, mushtahideen, khalas. Obviously, if I want to follow someone, to follow the sheikh that you trust, and what's the relationship I need to have with that sheikh? Do I just like following him? Is I already know him from Jummah? Or I know oh, a relationship with him? I feel like he's not... Of course, him. so this sheikh that you will... Like I said, you should not take fatawa from any sheikh living in our time. And of course... So this Shaykh, what, what relationship will you have with the Mashaykh of our time? Just the parent relationship. Say to him, Shaykh, I love you. I respect you. You are the most knowledgeable amongst all the blind people here. You have one eye. You have one beautiful eye. Can you please tell me what the Madhab teaches? What do Shafi'i say? What do Maliki say? This is his job. And to choose this person to follow in your deen, you have to, like we said, monitor his deen, his akhlaq, his dealings. It's very good if you can travel with him, build that personal closeness to him so that you can assess him properly. If you see any sikimiki wrong and that, just move on. Find someone else. Find the best amongst the worst. Yani, you will never find also the perfect sheikh in our time. All of us have basayib and balawi. So what you do with you, Find the best amongst the worst. Wallahu a'lam. This is the safest way. And tell him, do not tell me your opinion. I want to study with you the madhab. And then in modern masail, don't follow him. In modern masail, follow the big gatherings of ishtihad. That's the safest way, wallahu a'lam. Answer? Yeah. Any other question? Just a simple example of the madhab that I follow in my local masjid. And I go and ask a certain question, and he answers me like this, give me the solution for all four mothers. And when, when I heard this, I, I say, okay, you know, out of this, the, the best solution is, to me, the best solution is not the mother that I follow, but some other mother. And if I choose to do that, is that wrong? So what, sh what should happen is the reverse. Hmm. What should happen in the first place is you are learning and studying one mother. And this madhab, you have a sheikh teaching you this madhab. So this is the sheikh you ask about fatawa. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're learning the madhab and he's telling you what the Shafi'i said, or the Hanafi said, or the Maliki said, or the Hanbali said. And you're following this madhab. Alright? Under his guidance, this man, not any other mashaykh, under this guidance, if there's one or two masail that you are, you know, struggling with or uneasy with or make your life much easier because of certain circumstances in your life. Like I'll give you a perfect example. In Hanafi Madhab, if you read from the Mus'haf in Salah, your Salah is invalid. 
the famous debate that happened in Atikaf. Every year, 200 times. If I took $10 per question, I would become a millionaire. <laughs> you know? What did we say? Say, brother, if reading from the Mus'haf, you are feeling it is benefiting your salah, you are bringing more khushu'a in your life, you are understanding, you are enjoying the salah more, it's making you pray more, you're not leaving Islam, you are following a very, very genuine and strong opinion. And it's not our, it's not like, wallah, it's easier, you know? No, it's not, it's not about ease. So if, if Allah Azza wa Jal asks you on judgment there, you're not going to say, Ya Allah, wallah, because of my nafs and my hawa, I left my mother. <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm an ignorant person and it works for me, you know? Uh, it makes me have more khushu'ah, more understanding. So I'm going to take this fatwa from this madhab under the guidance of my chef. No problem. But, no, some people, you know, especially in marriage, they give this example. They say in Shafi'i madhab, you don't have to have a mahar for a marriage. In Maliki madhab, you don't have to have witnesses. In Hanafi madhab, you don't need a wedding. So what do you do? Grab your girlfriend, in BJ's here, you know, in the caravan at the front, some burger walima, and they do the contract. Why? They made a, they made a new remix. A Shafi'i, Hanafi, Maliki, Rukhas mix. Where there's no wali, there's no mahar, and there's no witnesses. <laughs> so this story was of course wrong. But like I said, I am for example, I work in a certain sector, my job, my life. And according to one madhab, something in my work is not allowed. But in the other madhab it is. I go to my sheikh, I tell him this is my situation. If he's a knowledgeable man, he will say to you, well, in your circumstance, you can take from... This other method. It's not that type. Do you know what I mean? This is the situation. Ramadan, the same thing, Chef? You follow the opinion of Chef when it comes to Ramadan? Sorry? In, 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 in moon sighting? Yeah, follow any madhab. <laughs> follow any. No, no, follow anyone before the last 50 years. This is a matter of ijma. Why do we say to the brothers that follow calculation that we... Some people say, Shaykh, please, please, Allah, we beg you, we will pay money. Wallah, brother said, Wallah, brother, I'll buy you a car. Just shut up. Please, we want unity. Let's all unite on the calculation method. I go, brother, Wallahi, Wallahi, Wallah, we're not being arrogant. Wallahi al-Azim, we are not being stubborn. Brother, wallahi, if the opinion of calculation had any salaf, if it had any predecessor, wallah, I'll be the first person to raise my hand and say, Ammi khallasuna, let's unite. Any madhab. But the problem is you are breaking the ijma' of the ummah. You are breaking what the ummah has agreed upon and sealed, not once, not twice, centuries. Alam after alam coming and saying, Ibn Taymiyyah has a famous statement. It's in my book, you can read it. He has a famous He said, some, some <coughs> ignorant mashayikh. He said, some ignorant mashayikh. This, these are his words. Al-Mutafaqiha. That appeared after the third century of Islam. So the first 300 years, he's narrating Ijma'ah. He's saying, after the first three centuries of Islam, some ulama came and said that if someone knows the science of astronomy, he is allowed to follow this science for himself only. Only for who? Only for himself. And when only? When it's overcast. If the weather is overcast completely, there's no... 
Yani there's clouds everywhere in the horizon and no one can see anything. And he is an astronomer and he calculated the birth of the moon exactly. Then some ulama said that this person can start his fast alone or ayid alone because he has this knowledge. Okay? He goes, and even though this fatwa is a ridiculous fatwa, call fatwa shadda, it is, it is, yani, it's Taiwanese, yani, it's a, it has no value, and it is restricted by, it is restricted by overcast and the person only with himself to do it alone, it is completely preceded with ijma'ah. There is ijma' against this fatwa, on the contrary opinion. So it has no value in Sharia. He said, but after this, he goes, as for someone to come and say that we should follow calculation when it's not overcast, and to generalize the matter as a country or a city, he goes, no Muslim ever said this. No Muslim, alam or no alam. He goes, no Muslim ever gave this fatwa. So to come now and ask me to break this ijma', you're asking for the impossible. Global Muslim Siba, you know, regional, no problem. But calculation, we announce Ramadan or Eid one month before, no Muslim ever said that. What are you following? We can't. Sorry. That's the problem. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Of course. Not, 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 not one, yani, the ulama of usul, if you read the ulama of usul, books and books and books and books about ijma' and consensus and the conditions for consensus and how do we prove consensus and, you know, what is the mu'tamad of the ijma' It's a whole mabhat in usul, yani, when you study usul, that's a, it's a huge part of our study Ijma', its types, its conditions, what the ulama differed about in ijma' This is what the mushtahid has to know. If you don't know it, خلاص. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك شهد الله لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وأتوب إليك.